0: Colors Bigfoot Radio. It is March 18th and you're here with your hosts, Lauren Smith and Dustin Clark. How are you doing tonight, Dustin?
1: I am doing great. How are you doing, Lauren?
0: I'm I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. This COVID thing is kind of stressful, stressful, but we're doing good.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's uh, definitely getting a little out of hand.
0: It is. Absolutely. That's a nice way of putting it. Um, I want to apologize <laughs> to everyone that we have not had a show in the last couple weeks. Um, I have been dealing with the loss of a loved one and um took a break from the show, but we are back this week. We decided that uh probably half of you are quarantined in your house right now and y'all y'all are ready for some new material. So something else to listen to. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, um, no, and,
1: and also, go ahead. We would like we would like to let everybody know that uh, a good friend of ours and a, a good friend of the Bigfoot community, uh, Tanya Knight, um, she's going through a difficult time um, right now, uh, and we have or uh, Brian Hulen, my uh, one of my buddies with SBA, uh, set up a GoFundMe account to kind of raise up some money for Tanya. And on our uh, Bigfoot Group Southern Bigfoot Alliance, we are also do, holding an auction. Um, I think so far we have uh, some beadwork, uh, a package for a a package for two to go to uh, Blue Line Zip Lines down in Lena, Arkansas, and we will also be auctioning off one of the. Bigfoot casts that we Casted down in southern Oklahoma
2: That's
1: awesome And,
0: uh,
2: and that's and just after so the far show we'll... um... Go ahead, Go ahead. <laughs> I, I was going to say, say That's just the so show far we'll... there, are,
0: there are new donations Coming in every day
1: Right and after the show, we'll post the link of the GoFundMe into uh, Nightcaller's uh, Bigfoot Facebook page and in the group. That way everybody can see it. And if they can, donate a little bit, or y'all can all come to the Southern Bigfoot Alliance group and see all the different things that we have up for auction. That The proceeds will be going to Tanya and her cause. And for those that may may not know her by Tanya Knight, she is the one that you keep seeing on Facebook or at the Bigfoot conferences, basically the female Bigfoot that's run, always running around. Uh, her name is She Squatch. That is Tanya Knight. And she's an awesome person. She's a great friend of Lauren and I. And everybody loves her. And we just want to try to help her out as much as we can. So I believe that is all the Bigfoot news I have. Do you have any, Lauren?
0: (laughs) That's some pretty big Bigfoot news, though. Um, Definitely, you know, she's one of those people that she, when she shows up as herself or as she squats, she brings joy to every person that she comes into contact with. Um, So we definitely want to help her battle through this. And support her as much as we can. Show her some love. Um, you know, if you you know can't afford to donate money or or an item for the raffle, even if you could just share, go to our page and share the post um, so that you can get the the news out to someone who can help. Um, because we just really want to support her through this. Um, so that being said. I am ready to talk to our guest. How about you?
1: I'm more than ready. Let's go.
0: Okay. All right. So we have John on tonight, and he is an Oklahoma Bigfoot researcher. He was actually born in Dallas and raised in Plano, Texas. He now resides and researches in Honubby, Oklahoma. He is a 16-year U.S. Air Force veteran. He is married to Monica. And I have pictures uploaded where she also goes out with him to research. John is the author of the Sasquatch novel Relics, published in 2017. He was once a Bigfoot skeptic, and now he is a recreational investigator and researcher. He began researching the Bigfoot subject for material to write a novel in 2014 and became hooked on the subject. He then began field investigating and research in 2015. John moved from Sulphur Springs, Texas, to Hanobi, Oklahoma, in 2018. He has been a guest speaker at the Honobi Bigfoot Conference in 2019. And he's actually scheduled to speak again this year in October. In his investigation and research areas include North Sulphur River, Texas, Long Arkansas, Brown Springs, Oklahoma, and Honobi, Oklahoma. He's actually currently working on a second novel, Relics 2, the Honobi, Honobi Creek Devils. Um his quote is that he is not a Bigfoot expert, but I would like to pick his brain tonight anyway. How are you doing, John?
3: Great. Thank you for having me.
0: Oh, absolutely. Thank you for coming on. Um so there's just, you know, so many questions that we have tonight um about your research, about your book. Um about your experiences but the first question that you know we always start off with is what got you into this topic?
3: Well actually it was writing a novel and I'm one of those guys I never thought I'd write a book you know I was uh, English class which came just before football practice so I wasn't really thinking about English so I think if my uh, English teacher had to pick somebody in the book least like or in the class least likely to write a book. It would have been me. And, um, uh, it came about, um, my lifelong passion has always been military aviation history. And, uh, for years I played a online flight sim, World War II era, online flight sim. And there'd be three to 400 of us flying on Friday nights. They'd recreate some battle. And one night, and this is how all this started one night, uh, they recreated Operation Torch, and there was four of us in a flight. We were supposed to patrol this area on the North African coast. But one of the guys I've been flying with for years starts talking about a Bigfoot encounter he had as a kid. And the other two guys are pretty engrossed, and I'm kind of listening to it. <laughs> and I look off to my left, and here I see these ten dots, and they're coming past. And so I called them out, and I turned in and into them, as you're supposed to do. And they just kept on going down the coast talking about Bigfoot, and I ended up with 10 German guys on me, and I didn't last too long, so as I was floating down in my cyber parachute, I was degrading my friend for his Bigfoot story and telling him what an idiot he was for believing in Bigfoot and, you know, just basically having a little temper tantrum. So the next day, <laughs> I felt pretty bad and got my composure back and I called him and I apologized and then said, okay, tell me your Bigfoot story, and he told me it occurred in Florida, and You know, I was a little confused by that because, like most people that don't pay attention, I always thought it was something that only happened in the Pacific Northwest. So one thing led to another. A couple of weeks later, I saw a uh, link for the movie Willow Creek, and I sent it to him. And uh, I told him, hey, you might like this movie. And he called me and said, well, those um, lost footage movies, he said – you can't watch them, something about the camera being jerky. And then he said, but I mm-hmm. wish we would have thought of that because we could make a good movie. I'm like, how are we going to make a movie? What I didn't realize, because I just knew him on the Internet, he had a production company. He still has it, and he does those uh, 30-minute-long infomercials. And he talked to me and said, you think you could write a story I could make a short film on? And i have been doing some writing for the flight sim, and I'd done a little um, technical writing. At a steel mill a few years before, and I thought, I oh, probably could. And I worked on it for maybe 15, 20 hours over the course of a couple of weeks. And he got a big contract in California. He said, Hey, man, I got to drop the Bigfoot thing. I'm about to make a lot of money. I understood, and actually, I was kind of relieved. And uh, so I blew it off, set it aside, and then my sister saw it. And she's the one that talked me into writing a book or making it into a novel. So that's how it started. And then I started doing research on where to put the place, because originally the setting was going to be Ohio, and he was going to do all the geography-led work for me. So now I'm thinking, well, that's not going to happen. So I started looking on the Internet for um, Bigfoot sightings. At first I was looking in Texas, and everything was down around Houston, uh, Big Thicket area. I'm sure you've heard of that. And uh, mm-hmm. I don't really like that part of Texas, and I kept looking, and I started seeing the stuff about Oklahoma. And uh, Sulphur Springs is close to Oklahoma, so I thought, well, let me start looking at that. And then I came across Siege of Honabe a, on a Sasquatch Chronicles. I listened to that, and I thought, okay, I'm going to use that area. Then I started looking at it a little more, and Honabe doesn't have a police department or a hospital or, you know, very little infrastructure, and I needed a town I, because my main character was going to be a police officer, so I needed a police department, so I chose Tallahena, Oklahoma, which is about 17 to 20 miles from here on the other side of the mountains, and I just started writing and researching, and to be honest, I didn't get my rear end out of a chair to go do any research the first eight months. I didn't even visit this part of the state. Or coming to Oklahoma at all, I was using Google Earth to pick all the areas for the scenes in the book. And about eight mm-hmm. months into it, I decided, man, I better go up there and take a look around, make sure I'm getting this right. And I came up, and everything just looked as I hoped it would. And I instantly fell in love with the place. And so uh, that's how I got started on it. That's pretty awesome.
0: and like often. i said i
3: was a skeptic. Complain. i was a heavy skeptic for for most of mm-hmm. the book writing um and i just i went out a few places here and there didn't didn't find anything i, I looked for uh any old bfro reports for around the sulfur springs area and uh checked those places mm-hmm. out and then i talked to a few people who had encounters along the sulfur river so I would go down or up there a lot from Sulphur Springs and, you know, never really found anything. Wasn't, wasn't much going on there, but mainly what I was looking for, I didn't really expect to find anything. I was actually looking for habitat and, you know, there was enough food sources there to uh, feed something as big as a uh, Sasquatch is supposed to be. And, you know, there may have been 20 years ago or so, but it kind of grown up around there and there was a lot of farmland now, not... Not much in the way of woods. Along the the uh, river itself is, you know, pretty nice and woolly, but a little thick, but it spins out really quickly and mainly into farmland. So I really was still not too convinced about the whole thing, but it kept nagging at me. I would read all these reports and I would listen to these talk shows. I'd, I'd even listen to yours a few times. Um, that was later mm-hmm. after the book was published done that I'd listen years but it just kept nagging at me that you had all these witnesses and they weren't always Mm -hmm. you know some guy you know they just pulled off the street these were you know it was police officers military people doctors and um, it just it just kept eating at me I said well there's got to be something more to this so I just kept writing and doing as much research as I could and I started going into the woods. and uh, one, um, I'd gotten on a, a blog or, or a bulletin board, and I made a few friends on there, and one guy came up and said he had had a, uh, his brother in it, somebody else had been run out of a place. They were going to scout for deer hunting, and it was near uh, Dover, Arkansas, Longpool Recreational Area. So a bunch of us decided to go up there one weekend, and uh, so I went. I took two of my sons. I had uh, my two oldest sons both served in Iraq. One of them, Thomas, um, unfortunately lost his legs in 2007, but he's still Thomas, and he wants to do this stuff. So he wanted to go, and my (laughs) younger son went, and um, my nephew met us up there as well. So we made the trip up there, and... My son and I crossed the creek on Saturday morning, and it was funny. As soon as we got to the creek, on the other side, it's all mountains, and there was just this huge bang, like something on the side of a tree. And I was joking to my son, said, okay, they know we're coming. And, And I was just playing. And we got halfway across the river, and there was another bang. We got to wait all the way over on the other side, and there was another bang. And then we started exploring and sure enough my son came up on these weird footprints. Now, I sent you one, I think, it's got the knife by it. And I was telling my son, mm-hmm. I said, I think that's a bear footprint. I, you know, I'd never seen a bear footprint, but I thought that's gotta be a bear footprint. But there was something weird about the hill, it had like almost a crescent hill on it and I said, Well, I can't explain that hill except maybe some other animal came up here and stepped on that part of it. And he said, well, look at all this. And there was more of them. Now, they were in looser sand that had kind of been rained on. It wasn't a clear, defined print like the first one. But they all had that same little crescent shape. So I thought, man, that is weird. That's the weirdest footprint I ever, I've ever seen. Couldn't explain. It wasn't really human looking, but it didn't look like any other animal either. So it took a couple of pictures. Then we were looking around, and we'd gotten away from where people were completely and uh. Then he finds this huge footprint, and I think I sent you a picture of that. I didn't want to outline it in red, mm-hmm. so I did not I think it was green or yellow. Everybody uses red. You did it in green. You can t- you can slightly <laughs> see the definition. This was it. You know, I, I only took a picture of it with my phone. That's all I had. I'm I'm not one of those guys. I don't go out and buy all the equipment and stuff. I figured, hey, if I got a flashlight, a gun, and a canteen, I'm I'm good to go, and my cell phone. Mm-hmm. But. Uh, Anyway, so I took as good a picture of it as I could, and then we ran across these rock stackings. Now, yes, humans could have done that, but the only prints around there were those little footprints we'd seen earlier. And where he found the big one, it was like something big was standing there watching something little play around along the beach. That was just the impression I got. Now, you know, anybody else could have looked at that and come up with a different... um, conclusion, but I, and that's what I told Trevor, my son, I said, man this looks like a big one was standing here watching its little one play on the beach and that was just what I took from it, and then we found mussel shells too, and they were like um, 50 yards away from the water and he pointed that out to me too and I said, well, you know raccoon, he goes, a raccoon would have eaten them down at the river, oh yeah, you're right, I said, well maybe you know, some guy collected them, came up here and ate them he said, but there's no campfire. Who's going to eat those those freshwater mussels raw? You goes they'll get sick. You know, and um, I thought, well, his college is paying off. So
2: <laughs>
3: I said, well, you got a good one.' So we get back to the camp, and we're wanting to tell the other guys about it. Well, the previous night, something had been stomping around the camp, and we all heard it, and uh, everybody was a little on edge by that. We couldn't see anything, though. So – the Saturday night, the other guys had gone up a mountain, and I wanted them to see this stuff. We had to get across the river to do it. Well, sure enough, as soon as they come back, this thunderstorm hits, I mean, just washes us out. So, basically, the trip was, was over. We did hear some vocalizations, but it was hard to tell between the rain on the leaves and the thunder, what we were hearing. But um, that got me really hooked. Then I was thinking, okay, it could just be an animal of some kind, you know, that made those prints. And so I said, but that's just not something I've seen before. And so I wanted to go back. So I continued um, looking around the Sulphur River, and then I started coming up here when I could. But not so much to do research. I decided, well, you know, I got a lot of scenes in the forest at night. So I wanted to come up here and see what the sounds were like in the forest at night. So I come up here one Saturday afternoon and uh, get up here about an hour before dark. I wanted to go to Tallahassee and do the hills around there, but I thought it'd be easier getting ones here near Honabe. And like a dork, I didn't tell anybody where I was going. I didn't bring anything. (laughs) I didn't have a gun or a flashlight. just had my cell phone, and I climbed this hill. And it got dark, and I got up there and got turned around, and couldn't couldn't find my truck. <laughs> and um,
2: oh, no. so I was getting well. I'm getting
3: a little worried. And I thought, man, you're a dummy. You should have at least told somebody you were coming out here. Well, there's no traffic out here normally. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got back up on the hill, and luckily a truck came down the mountain. So I was like, okay, that road's over there. My truck should be down here. So I went down, still no truck. And then I figured out, oh yeah, that. Okay, I was looking at the wrong I was that backed up. I was looking at 140, 144, thinking it was Indian Trail Highway. So I really, you know, learned a little lesson there. It's like don't go out alone anymore and uh pay attention to your surroundings while you're out. Because that would have just that would have been really embarrassing to get lost and spend the night on the mountain. And at the <laughs> time I was ignorant of the wildlife here. I didn't realize they had wolves and bear and I didn't really think they had Sasquatch either, <laughs> you know <so laughs> I was pretty unprepared, <laughs> and it you know it's a good thing I was a uh, amateur writer and not a and not really keen on you know now I'll go deeper in the woods or up the mountain, but then I wasn't ready for it, and obviously I wasn't ready for it. Oh my
0: gosh so yeah. at <laughs> at what point did you switch from skeptic <clears throat> to believer? Well,
3: um it's <laughs> okay. I uh after I got the I got the book written, um I really I you guys have probably had this happen. You you take a lot of you take a lot of teasing. People at work knew I was writing a book and a couple of them knew what it was about, and I was getting teased about it. So I really, you know, I was pretty dead set on I'm not going to believe any of this. I don't, you know, and I just tell, hey man, it's a novel. Cut me some slack, you know. And so I, uh, I'm getting toward the end of the the book, and um, what actually moving up here is what got me to being a believer or a knower. And uh, but before I got up here, just before I finished that book, when I wrote the book, I didn't name any of the characters after anybody I knew. And one of the main characters was a Monica. Her name was Monica, and about two weeks after I wrote her part of the story out of the book, I meet a Monica at work. And uh, we start, you know, talking and stuff, and it took like six months to get her to go out with me. So I'm taking her to Texarkana for dinner, and she says, so you're writing a book, what's it about? And I don't want to tell her, you know. <laughs> I had a huge <laughs> crush on her, an attractive woman. She's educated. I'm like, I am not telling her I'm writing a Bigfoot book. <laughs> and so I uh, – I said, uh, well, I'm just writing a novel. And she says, so what is the, what's it about? I said, well, it's in Oklahoma. And she's like, well, what's it about? And I'm like putting my hand over my mouth, Bigfoot, you know, trying to hide. She said, Bigfoot? And I'm like, yeah. And she goes, do you believe in that? And I'm like, well, no. But it makes for a good novel. And she said something, you know, I was, I was expecting to say, okay, take me home. Or I'm thinking this is going to be a real short date. And uh, she says, well, you know, I think if they're real, they're Nephilim. And Monica's very spiritual. Mm-hmm. She's always been into the Bible and stuff. And I gotta be honest with you, I didn't know what a Nephilim was. And I'm like, <laughs> Nephilim? What well, what's a Nephilim? She's like, you know, in Genesis in, in Genesis six in the Bible. Have you read the Bible? I'm like, No. Well I can tell you I have now. But <laughs> at that point I hadn't, but mm-hmm. I thought, Wow, this this she's even neater than I thought, you know, she didn't laugh me out of the truck. So we I've got the book published and uh one of the main uh, one of the main places locations in the book is have e- either of you ever been to Tahlequah, mm-hmm. Oklahoma? Yes, I have Okay. Yeah. There's the restaurant P- Pam's hateful Hus- hussy diner. Any of you eating
2: there? <laughs> yes.
3: Okay. Well, that's that's a, a lot of scenes in the book take place there. And I just before I shipped the book off for publishing, I called Pam and. Asked her if it was okay to use her book because I thought, man, if it's not, I'm going to have to change it all up pretty quick. Mm-hmm. And and she was very gracious. She said, "Yeah, go ahead." She goes, "People are always wanting to use my restaurant for something, and they never do." And so uh, I said, "Okay." So I sent it off, got it published, and then um, in November of, of uh, in November 2016 is when I sent the book off to the publisher. And Monica and I got married in November of 2016. So the following September, oh the book's out and right around Christmas time, we did, or it was January. We decided to run up here and get Pam a copy of the book. So as we're coming back, there's a little overlook just above Hanovi as you're coming back from Tallahina in the mountains. And we stopped there and mm-hmm. we're looking down in the valley and it's just beautiful. And, uh, we're both talking about, wouldn't it be nice to live here? And about the time we got the word out of our mouths, we got this huge vocalization from the other mountain range opposite. Now, you, hmm. you've been to Honabee, right? I right, assume you yeah. have. Yeah. You know, the the valley's only a mile mile wide, and we were on the side toward Tallahina, and the vocalization came from the Broken Bow side, you know, like if you're going south to Broken Bow, and it was just tremendous. And it, and it's 4.30 in the afternoon, and I look at her and I'm like, man, we got to move up here somehow, some way we got to move up here. My co- The company I worked for had started picking up a lot of business in southeastern Oklahoma, and I'd heard the president say something – the president of the company talk about, hey, we're going to have to hire a guy in Oklahoma. It's probably going to take a couple years, get him up, speed on training. So I barge in the next day and propose I move to Oklahoma. And it took a few days, and they didn't have a problem with it. So um, we had two houses between us in Sulphur Springs. We sold one and we moved up here. And uh, this is where I finally uh, had, had an encounter, and I, I was just flabbergasted. And I, to tell you what happened, I went back to Longpool again in, in 2017, took Monica. And Joe, uh, I, him and I had become close friends that first trip. Well, he brought his wife, Kim. And we got up here. And all these times I've been out, I had no activity except the one time there. And I'm thinking, man, lightning is not going to strike twice. Well, we had howls, hoops. We had things shaking, trees, banging trees. At one point, <laughs> I told Joe, I said, you know, it was just him and I outside, and it was late at night. And it just felt like we were being surrounded. I said, man. It feels like we're getting probed, and there was a rifle shot on a mountain near us. There was something screaming up there. All of a sudden, there's a rifle shot, and then it sounded and it was bipedal right on the river, right like thirty feet from us. You hear something run through the water and up the side of the hill. By the time we could get a light over there, we just saw water dripping on the on the opposite bank. So that was the next last night. The last night we're there. I'm just beat. I'd stayed up like two nights in a row. You know, I'm an ex-airman. I need my sleep. Joe's an ex-Marine. He was going to stay up all night. <laughs> so him and his wife were sitting out there, and Monica and I kind of, they brought a little camper. We were in a camper asleep, and uh, all of a sudden, I, I felt like I'd been asleep for hours, maybe just 15 minutes. Kim opens the, the camper door. She's like, John, we got a wood knocking. And I'm tired, and I'm, like, I'm not really impressed, and I'm like, yeah, okay She goes, no, like right here And then she goes, I'm done with Sasquatch And she got in and slammed the door shut And she looks at me and goes, John Joe's out there alone I'm like, okay, okay <laughs> So I went back out there And it, it kind of quieted down after that But um, earlier that evening Joe and Kim had walked off There was a shower area And the only man-made lights were our fire And the lights at the shower area You couldn't see any other man-made lights and there was nobody else in the campgrounds, we would have known. And my wife and I are sitting there by the fire, and Joe and them are just off to my right, about 100 yards away, walking to the shower area, and a rock about the size of my fist just comes rolling up right by the fire. And I look at Monica, and I'm like, oof, (laughs) now that's spooky. (laughs) And we didn't hear anything (laughs) at this time, so, you know, and, and she said, well, what would do that? I said, well, something with a thumb. I said, bears don't have thumbs (laughs) A raccoon ain't going to throw a rock that big, you know? And uh, so Mm -hmm. I'm really, my whole thing about trying to deny there's something about to all this, it's just starting to really break down. It's just getting weaker and weaker. So we get to uh, move to Hanover. We move in in June of 2018. First weekend in August of 2018 i meet some friends and this was the second time i'd gone to brown springs have you guys heard about that area uh, mm-hmm. yep. just yeah just right on the border uh, of 35 now i've always heard mm-hmm. this place is scary and you know i've heard people say they don't like to go down there in the daylight much less nighttime well my two sons and mm-hmm. i had been down there previously and supposedly there's booger tracks everywhere well we didn't see anything um but, you know, we didn't stay that long either. So I went back for a weekend, and nothing really happened. And I got a lot of good sugar bites and things like that. And uh, <laughs> so come back from that and, you know, met some nice guys. I had a good time. But I come back, and I tell Monica, you know, I said, if they're in Brown Springs, they're gone. If they were here, they're gone. I said, I think if they're any place, they're in Longpool. I said, but. When I go to long pool, it's like I can feel something. It's something creepy. I said, I don't get that feeling here. And uh, she kind of agreed with me. So then two nights later, it was uh, about 9 o'clock. I walked outside to get the dog. He wants to sleep in at night, so I brush him out. He's got long hair, and he gets a lot of sand in his hair. So I brush him out every night before I bring him in. So uh, in summer 2018, Mars was real prominent. I mean, it was beautiful, and especially up here with no lights. You know, stars are just gorgeous, and Mars just mm-hmm. looked like a red diamond. It was just beautiful. And I've always liked looking at the sky, so I grabbed Opie by the collar, and I walked around Monica's vehicle, and I was looking up at Mars, and when I did, I tripped the motion sensor on the uh, carport, and light came on. And I'm looking at Mars, but... I see movement so my eyes automatically look down and I see this thing on two legs just hauling just right off my property line and it it clears and it had to be it felt like two seconds, it was probably three or four seconds. But this thing was on two legs, ran right across in front of me, hundred yards away, and he was backlit. There's an old Choctaw church off our property line on the other side. And they had the uh, vapor lights. Well, there's trees and stuff on my property, but he was running, and I could see him between the trees, and I saw him leap. And I thought, wow, there must be a fence there, and he jumped the fence. And I'm just excited, you know. As soon as I saw it, I knew what it was, and it was the weirdest thing. Excuse me. Um, By the way, that's allergies, not Corona. Anyway, um,
0: <laughs> <laughs> I've been saying that for a week straight now.
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, everything's starting to pop and green up up here, and it's gonna be miserable for a bit. Mm-hmm. But uh, and the thing, the weird thing about it, it was running, it was running faster than I'd ever seen anything run, and it wasn't pumping its arms. It, it had like a, it looked like it had like a surfer stance with its arms. I never saw it swing its arms until it leaped. And when it, when it leaked, it pumped its arms once, and once it leaked, it was gone. So I just told Monica, Yeah, you know, there ain't nothing up here, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so I run to the door, I open the door, Monica, Monica, she comes to the door, and I'm like, I just saw a Sasquatch, and she looks at me, she goes, oh, John.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and I'm no. like, no,
3: serious, you know, I take her back out there, and I, I'm pointing everything out to her, and, uh, so the next morning when it's light, we go over there and we're looking around. Well, it hadn't rained in a week or two, so the ground here is hard anyway. There's no way we were going to find a footprint, but I went over to where it leaped, and um, there was a pile of rocks and burnt logs there that I, I didn't know. It was just off my property line. So that's what it had to leap over. And a uh, weird thing, too, there's a little Choctaw Cemetery there that I didn't realize was there. So it would have come down right in that little Choctaw Cemetery, and I walked over the edge of the cemetery. I didn't walk in there because, you know, we're new here, and, um, you know, we hadn't, we didn't, we hadn't known, gotten to know people very well, and I, I didn't want to go traipsing through somebody's cemetery. I didn't know it was family cemetery. I, I knew it had something to do with a little church over there, but I didn't want to, you know, anger anybody or do anything wrong. So I didn't really go into the cemetery looking for footprints. But uh, that was it, and. I thought, okay, now I'm that guy, I've gone to Honaby and I've seen a seen a Bigfoot. My wife really doesn't, didn't, she believed me, but it was still, it graded on me. I was like, man, I don't, you know, I've always wanted to see one, but now that I've seen one, I don't like it because I'm, I got no other witnesses. You know, I'm standing here by myself saying what I've seen and then everybody, oh yeah, well, you wrote a Bigfoot book. Of course you're going to see a Bigfoot. You know, so I kind of, Kept it down, I, and I made the mistake of telling some people on a bulletin board. And uh, uh, Wes Germer was on there, and uh, he saw. I, in fact, I sent you the picture of what I saw and where it happened. And he saw that, and he asked me to be on his show. And I was still all pumped up, you know. i just seen it. I thought, yeah. So, he, you know, I called him, and I wasn't on there for maybe 15, 20 minutes. And then after I did that, I thought, well, maybe I shouldn't have done that. You know, because now, Mm -hmm. because the locals around here, they're not all, not all of them are very high up on the whole Bigfoot thing. A lot of them, you know, Mm -hmm. make fun of it, make fun of you if you said you've seen one. Now, there are some that will admit they've seen them, but for the most part, a lot of people here, you know, they kind of poke fun at all the people coming looking for Bigfoot and uh, kind of an inside joke. But, um, so I thought, eh, ain't going to worry about it, but. I just decided to keep it to myself after that. And then two months later, Monica sees one. <laughs> the funny thing mm-hmm. about this though, Monica had two other people with her that saw it too. And it was right in the same general area. And then I got the bright idea I'm like, Man, what am I going? Crawling around these hills or out in these woods? I can just give me a lawn chair and sit on my driveway and see what I'm doing. <laughs> But um and then everything just went Bang, everything went quiet, nothing happened for a while. And the funny thing about it here is if I'm thinking about it or if I'm out there actually looking for something, looking for footprints, walking along the creek or the river, there's nothing that ever happens. I don't hear anything, I don't see anything, I don't find anything. It's like anytime I'm not paying attention though, well not any time, but when something happens is when I least expect it. It's like then mm-hmm. I'll get a vocalization, or I'll hear something weird. One one afternoon, I was out here working, and I kept hearing Monica call my name. I'm like, "What is she doing?" And I walked around the house looking for her. I thought she was outside, and I went in the house and said, "Are you are you hollering for me?" And she's like, "No." I said, "Are you sure you haven't called my name?" Or "No." And I'm like, "Okay,"
2: <laughs>
3: you know. So you hear about that kind of stuff happening, but it didn't sound. Uh, it sounded like Monica. It didn't sound like some big ape trying to sound like Monica. So I was a little perplexed about it. But there's been a few other things happened that just kind of cemented my belief now. I mean, another thing I didn't understand about when I, when I had my sighting, my dog was with me. And I mean, if a hummingbird comes down the road, that dog barks. He barks at everything. He barks at the UPS guy, he barks at the deer, he barks at the other dogs, he barks at the people going down the road. But he didn't bark at this thing, and he was looking right at it. And the funny thing was, he was looking over there, and his tail was wagging. And Now, now had that been a deer or a hog or, you know, another dog or something, or a person even, he'd have been barking. And he didn't bark at Mm -hmm. all. It was like he saw his friend or something. It was the weirdest thing, but, you know, I'd always heard... They don't like dogs, so I didn't know what yeah. to think of that.
0: I've always heard that dogs usually tuck tail and go in the other direction or stay real close to their owner if they see one.
3: Right. Well, he was standing right yeah. next to me. Maybe that that's why he was relaxed. But there are nights I'll take him outside, and he kind of skulks, and puts his head down, and he won't stay out, and he wants to go back in the house. So, in mm. a... You um, know, when I would listen... We did, go ahead.
0: Sorry. I just want to say, we did have no, a question um, from one of our listeners, and uh, he wanted to know um, do you still have activity around your house?
3: We do. Well, it's hard to say if it's activity. I hear... I get a lot of vocalizations from the hills, but it's sporadic. You know, it doesn't happen all the time. Um, now, uh... December of 2018 I don't know I can't say for sure I don't know my eyes were playing tricks on me or what but I had Christmas lights on the house so kind of lit the area up a little bit and we have two sheds and in between them we got like a little uh, portable carport out there on the side of the property and Monica was it was kind of a balmy evening for December Monica was outside talking to her daughter on the phone and I walked out and I just happened to be looking at her and when I did I saw movement behind her, and this huge shadow, I mean, this thing was huge, like, walked on just the opposite side of the fence behind the carport, and I guess it's, there it must have been fear or concern in my voice because I said, Monica, get in the house. Normally, she'd say, why, what? She just went, boom, right in the house, and I went and got mm-hmm. a 12-gauge in my shotgun, and I went out there, and I didn't see anything, I, you know, and I... And I'm not going to say I did, but I sure thought I did. Um, we've had a weird thing happen this summer. Rocks kept getting thrown into the pool, and uh, you know, now of course it could be a human doing it, but the size of some of these rocks, you know, they're some out by the road. But I don't know anybody around here who's going to harm that good. They can throw, but it, it mm-hmm. seemed like every evening I get in and clean the pool, I'm throwing rocks out of it. And uh, hmm. I didn't know what to make of that. You know, again, I don't know why anybody would do it. There's not that many people out here. Um, plus messing around like that out here, you know, not maybe not me, but you might get shot by somebody, you know. I, I mean, mm-hmm. the people out here are very nice, but I wouldn't go parading, or, you know, I wouldn't go skulking around on anybody's property after dark because you don't mm-hmm. know what they are going to do. But mm-hmm. we do get a lot of vocalizations from time to time. And we did get one, it was, this Friday would have been three weeks ago, was outside and there was normal night noises out there. Uh, there's some cattle down the road on Indian Highway were mooing and you could hear the owls and, you know, dogs barking. And then something just let out a scream and two hoops on the ridge behind our house there, that north ridge. And the funny thing about it is the whole valley went quiet. The dogs quit barking, the cows quit making noise. It was like everything just decided to shut up as soon as everything let out a howl. Monica did find a print about four miles from here. We know a guy that uh, had had put a cabin out there, and he said things are happening around his cabin. So we went out there with another guy who, uh, he has a show, and he does a little investigation, and we were looking around. Monica found an, a good print, and um, we we found the strangest. Uh, there was rips in the trees, and I thought maybe it was maybe a bear or possibly a deer had done it, but they were kind of they were going horizontal. Now, I'm thinking it was way too high for antlers, and I've seen a couple of bears up here, but I've never seen one messing with a tree. But I think if they were gonna sharpen their claws or do something to a tree it would be in a in a vertical direction. All all this damage was horizontal. But uh so we kind of saw this stuff and let the guy know who owns the cabin, he's in Dallas, um, what we found and he's like, Yeah, okay. You know, I
2: don't <laughs> he's,
3: he probably thought, Well, okay, big wood nuts, you know. So then he called me a couple of weeks later He had been out on his back, he'd come up for the weekend, he was sitting out on his back porch and bought some new night vision equipment, and he said he was just kind of looking around, and he said, I turned to the left, and there was one sitting out in the trees over there, he could see it on his IR, and he said he jumped up, you know, I guess he was going to get a camera or something, but by the time he got everything together, it bolted, and he's got a really pretty little piece of property on the river, and uh, it's real thick around there, so... Um, of course, I didn't see this. He told me about it, but he didn't really, you know, he's not inviting people out on Bigfoot tours or anything. He doesn't have anything to gain by it. And I guess one reason I've been pretty cagey about keeping my stuff to myself is because I am writing, you know, I wrote a novel, I'm writing a second novel, and I really don't want to go tell everybody, yes, I've seen a Bigfoot because I don't want them, you know, they're just, well, yeah, you're going to say that because you're writing a book. As a matter of fact, when I spoke at the conference in uh, October, I didn't let it out there that I'd seen anything. Um, I didn't say it while I was speaking. Now, if somebody came up and asked me, hey, have you seen anything, I'll tell them. But, yeah, I don't just blurt it out, you know, for general consumption. and
2: um,
0: We have another question from the chat, or from the, we have another question. Um, They want to know, does Monica still think that they're Nephilim after having these experiences with you?
3: Well, yeah, she does. And and I have to be honest with you, I, uh, you know, I had always hidden from my faith. We didn't go to church, our family, when I was little, and I'd always kind of dodged it and... You know, when I got serious with Monica, if you're going to be serious with Monica, (laughs) you're going to have to be serious about the Bible. You're going to have to either accept it or start reading it or just tell her you're either going to accept it or just tell her no, have nothing to do with it. There's not going to be any lukewarm. So I started going to Mm -hmm. church with her, and I started reading the Bible. And um, I started reading some of the other stuff, you know, and looking at things from more of a – Biblical perspective. Now I know you know everybody has their own theories and stuff, and um, but you know I'm a I'm a Christian now. I have been for four years. I got baptized four years ago, and I take it very seriously. Mm -hmm. And so I mean, yes, there's all kinds of explanations for everything, but I keep my explanations now for anything nature. I'm gonna say. You know, it's some it's something from God. Now, could these things be a, uh, you know, other than the first Nephilim? Supposedly, there was a second, third incursion, and is this something watered down left from that? I don't know. Is it some something made from the government? I don't know. Is it just a big monkey? It could be. You know, nobody mm-hmm. knows who's right, and we've all got opinions. Now, just because I have my opinion, I don't I don't uh, cancel anybody else's out because. We're all coming at this thing from different perspectives and different experience. But, yes, she does. She still thinks it's something on that Okay.
0: okay. Um, we have a little less than 15 minutes left, so I was wondering if we could talk about um, your book a little bit or even your second book. And then also, follow-up, I was wondering if we could have you back on because I didn't even make it through half of my questions. <laughs>
3: Yeah, well, you know what? You let me start talking.
2: <laughs>
3: yeah, I'd love to come that's back. That's the best. I tell you what, you—that's <laughs> the best
2: kind of guest.
3: <laughs> okay, well, I'm glad I didn't let you down. But yes, go ahead and ask any Absolutely questions not. about either book.
2: <laughs>
0: okay, um, well, so I guess, all right. So you wrote your book and. The the book just makes me have a million questions too. Um, so obviously okay. it is fiction, but it's based on a lot of truth. Um, yes. So, oh, I guess the question I would like to get in before we run out of time is, um, obviously you did some research with the tribes when you did this book, right?
3: Yes.
2: Okay. Now, I, at um, the time, I, I didn't
3: know any Native oh, Americans. I. Mm-hmm. I took the names they used for it and stuff that I would find on the Internet. Now, I've, I've okay. had the pleasure right. of meeting a few, and and now I can ask questions, you know, from
0: mm-hmm.
3: from the actual well, that people. Was gonna,
0: well, that actually goes perfectly into my question. Um, have you had any amazing stories from the tribes for this book?
3: Well, no, not exactly. Now, there are um, – I have a neighbor who uh, – as as he's claimed to have seen them from the uh, same in the same general area where I saw mine, and he's a close neighbor, and he's talked about it a little bit, but a lot of people here are tight-lipped. You, funny thing, usually the most people will talk about it is around festival time. And um, mm-hmm. the first year I was here, I got roped into being security, so I didn't get to do a
2: lot
3: <laughs> do a lot of question asking, and then this past year they had me speaking and um the the wife of the director of the Taimichi Christian mission, Christ forty acres, where they had the uh actually had the festival, mm-hmm. she was kind enough to set up a book signing for me so I didn't really get a chance to ask a lot of questions then either. But um yeah, there's more available to me now. I, I do know more of the people. But at the same time Some are gonna just gonna say they don't they don't want to talk about it or they don't believe Mm -hmm. in it at all, you know. And then some will talk to you. You Just it takes a little while to get people's trust, you know. And uh, you know, most these people up here have lived here all their lives, and they're starting to get a lot of Texans move in. So, you know, you kind of just I I try to take it easy. I don't try to you know like bum rush people with questions and stuff. I just kind of lay back and listen. Yeah.
0: Right, of course not, yeah, um, no, I think that's that's a good way to go about it um okay, well, and that was actually, that was my main question go
3: ahead, yeah, well, I was just gonna say the characters in the book, um the main character is um Sam Redstone, he's the chief police of Tallahena, of course, fictional,
2: mm-hmm. and uh
3: he's half Choctaw, his father, Addison Redstone, just about mm-hmm. takes over his the main character. He just came on strong as I was writing the book. He's full blood Choctaw and has you know, carries the Choctaw beliefs on the thing. And uh, you know, basically the story is they start having problems, some bikers get killed at a lookout near Tallahina. Um Sam, who's the police chief, he's also an Iraq war veteran. He's assuming it's a biker war and he's going that way and then, all of a sudden, addison's starting to talk to him about other things he doesn't want to believe it. then they start noticing the military's around there's a government agent involved there's special forces there's fire trucks airplanes
2: <laughs> no
3: it mm-hmm. I'm just teasing it but <laughs> I tried to cover all the areas you 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 know you 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 hear about these uh government operations and cover ups and military operations so I tried to include all that in the book I was trying to uh Just cover the spectrum of the phenomenon Because that's what interests me Was That's what got me hooked It wasn't just Joe Hunter or Bob, you know, Woodsman Or or a hiker That's seen them You know, you start hearing about the government Knows about them There's been actual military contact And all that just fascinated me So I wanted to include it in the book
0: Absolutely And I'm you know i just i you know you there are so many books out there and you you look at them and and you know so whenever someone's like oh you know this person wrote a book and you're like oh okay is it another um you know usual bigfoot research book and then i looked at it and i'm like wait a minute i'm like this is not just another research book like this thing this is a completely different kind of book than we normally see in the community, and I love it. It's kind of a breath of fresh air to have. I know it's fiction, but just that you based it on so you what we all
3: hear and deal with. Yeah. Yeah. Do <laughs> what? Oh, I didn't realize you'd read the book. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's awesome. Haven't read it yet.
0: I'm waiting on it to get here.
3: (laughs) Oh, you are! I'm waiting very impatiently. (laughs) I hope you don't, (laughs) you know. I just heard Amazon quit all their deliveries.
2: (laughs) I think they did at the 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 worst possible time.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's too bad. Well, it'll get there.
2: (laughs) but yes, I did want
3: to. I did want to include as much of you know the phenomenon as possible and keep it interesting and. I did a lot of work. I mean, I really put a lot into the characters, and I thought, oh, you know, I've never written before, but I knew every book I'd ever enjoyed, I fell in love with a character or two. So I put a lot of work into characters, and then I started getting feedback from my sister and others. Hey, you better not let this person die. You better not let that person Don't let something happen to her. And I thought, maybe I'm on the right track here. So, Yeah, no, um, I can't
0: wait. I can't wait to read it and so hopefully I will get to read it before we have you back on and then I can really grill down and ask you some questions.
3: <laughs> yes, that'd be great. And I was um, trying to have uh so, I was trying to have the second book out in the first quarter of uh of 2020 but you know, you, you mentioned you just had a loss in your family. Well, I lost my sister, who was my big cheerleader for writing the first one, last December 2018. I'm sorry to hear that. And then back in September, um, we lost Travis, my oldest son. He uh, mm. he'd had uh, PTSD complications. You know, he, he didn't get a scratch. His brother lost his legs, but Travis was okay, except he came back with PTSD, and I, I don't know if it was – you know, all the – he was on different kind of medications, and I don't know, that just caused mm-hmm. his heart to give out. But it's been really – I've started writing again recently, but uh, when that happened – and I had to speak in October. I didn't think I was going to be able to get through the speaking. and I managed, and I just told myself, I said, okay, once I get through this, I need to take some time away from this stuff. And uh, mm-hmm. But I had picked it up and started writing again. But, uh, yeah, when you said that earlier, I I know exactly how you feel.
0: Yeah, but now I'm back it's, on it. It's I hard to, to keep carrying on, here. but mm-hmm. yeah, it
3: is. It is.
0: Do you, Do you find that you know that taking your mind off of everything is a little bit cathartic?
3: Well, it it, it helps a little bit. <laughs> the thing of it is, uh, I when I wrote the first book, I tried to use as much stuff familiar to me as possible. Uh, there's an airplane crash in the first of the book. I used one of my old squadrons from when I was in the Air Force because I was familiar with it. Um, I kind of mm-hmm. based Sam on the personalities of Thomas and Travis, my two oldest sons. And I actually used mm-hmm. – uh, Thomas was in 1st Cavalry Division, so I knew the deployment dates right in my – I had them right in my head because I lived through them. You know, I sweared it mm-hmm. out waiting for them to come back. So that was easy. I had mm-hmm. that to I tried to use as much stuff as I was familiar with. So I have to be honest, when I'm writing about Sam right now, I still kinda of see Travis and Thomas and
2: mm-hmm. you know, so
3: but it's getting better. It's getting better.
0: That just I mean, you're actually putting your heart and
3: soul into this book. Yes. Yeah, and the second well, book, um I I will just warn people right off the bat, it's going more of a more of a Christian spiritual direction. I am gonna in the second book, start pursuing um, not only the Nephilim, but other things, you know, kind of not really like revelations in the end of time, but kind of going that direction and, and writing a story that, that, uh, that has to do with the things they're encountering, because they're going to start encountering more than Sasquatch and, and just taking it down that road. And so it's going to go a little more woo. I mean, I kept it pretty much, Meat and Potatoes, Hairy Beast in the first book. But now, you know, it's Mm going to probably go a little more the woo direction. And people are going to say, well, that's not real. Well, you're right. It's not because it's a novel. But the nice thing about a novel, if you're going to write a novel, you pretty much get liberty to make it whatever you want. So
2: um, Mm -hmm. I'm still
3: going to try to make it as interesting as possible. But, yeah, I'm kind of taking it toward a biblical perspective in the next two I want it to end up being a trilogy. And then I would really, oh, yeah. if I can get that done, I would love to knock out, if I can get a hold of the brothers that lived over here that from the Siege of Novi. It's the 20th anniversary. I'd love to knock out a book on that if I can get a hold of them.
2: Oh, yeah.
3: Absolutely. Yeah, that would be Absolutely. Awesome. Well,
0: I I think that you're um... – you know, I think, like you said, it's a novel. You can do whatever you want with it, and I think that's a really interesting concept and uh, direction that you're going to take the second one. So, I can't wait to read it. Um, so again, uh, John's book is called Relics. The first book is called Relics. It's a myth you don't believe and a reality you won't survive is the tagline. So, uh, it's on Amazon Kindle for 9.99. Paperback is 34.95. And I would go ahead and download the Kindle because you can get it instantly and don't have to wait on Amazon to decide that coronavirus, you know, uh, they can't (laughs) deliver because of that. (laughs) And um, as he said, John is working on his second book, Relics 2, and so um, we are going to have him back on so that we can discuss that a little bit more and go, you know, a little bit more into detail, so... Um, thank you so much again for coming on tonight, John. You've been a fantastic guest. Um, I've really, really enjoyed speaking with you and,
2: well, thank um, you very hopefully much. hopefully we can all now. make it
0: to, oh yeah, yeah. Hopefully we can all make it to Ho to hear you live this
3: year. <laughs> yeah. I would love to meet you guys. Dustin, it was nice talking to you. You didn't get to say much. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, It's all right. Sometimes I have to let Lauren answer some questions
3: or ask some questions, so it's all right. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, Uh, I I really enjoyed it, guys, and I deeply appreciate you letting me be on your show. Thank you very much. uh Thank you you for coming on,
0: and I will get with you to schedule that next show.
3: Awesome. Thank you. You Um, guys have a good night. Okay.
0: You too. All right. Good night, everybody. Bye. Bye.
2: tonight dollars bigfoot radio